you comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. Public funding for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting may soon be eliminated by Congress, which would mean an income loss of 10 to 40 percent for public and community broadcasters across the country. WERU would lose a community service grant that makes up 25 percent of our annual income. Information on how you can get involved in the effort to save federal funding for community radio is available at 170millionamericans.org and weru.org. You can also email Senators Snow and Collins through their websites and call their Washington offices. This is a critical and urgent issue. Thank you. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online everywhere at weru.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month. It's Fat Tuesday, and it's also International Women's Day. What could be better? Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill. I'm Alan Sprague. There's Mike Joyce over there with the old rusty anchors of Boat Talk. And um, i going to deviate just a little bit from the usual pun first thing mike by by request <laughs> yeah somebody asked you to stop yeah <laughs> well i don't listen to those this is a request for somebody who's uh, made the comparison between boat talk and car talk you've mentioned it before with the splish and splash thing not as funny as click and clack yeah well i don't know um, that's what i like to say it's probably is questionable but anyway um he asked if we uh, had some of the uh the uh People who help behind the scenes like Car Talk does when they get into the show, they list the uh, people who uh, do various things on their program. Um, we usually get very busy at the end of our show, so I thought I'd get a list uh, of Boat Talk volunteers who help us here on Boat Talk. I don't know I've met any of these people, Alan. Well, you probably probably will recognize some of them. They're all volunteers, I've got to point out, though, because if Boat Talk had any money, the lawyers would make us get rid of those loose cannons. But here are the some of the volunteers, anyway. Our anchoring expert is Betty Hooks. <laughs> Storage building contractor is Barney Walls. Yep. We have two Finnish detailers, Dustin Shines and Buffy Albright. Our, our trip, trip planner is, you'll like this guy, Stacy Turner. Rigger is Emma Roper. The waste systems expert is Phil Bottoms. Our, our refrigeration expert is IC Blocks. And the second generation spar maker we have here now is Junior Masterson. And of course, finally, our daily planner is K. Oz. 
Actually, I now now that you uh, point them out, I do recognize a lot of those people there. But uh, chaos, we're very familiar with. Yeah, we have a guest in the studio this morning, Leslie Harlow, um, and we're going to uh, talk about women in boating. Now, Leslie, it turns out, does some radio herself on another radio station in the area here. Um, little interview thing you're calling what, Leslie? Well, it's uh, going to start up this month sometime, and it's on W Bach Radio. And it's going to be aired from Kittery up to Callis. And it's called Main Scenic Route with Leslie Harlow. And essentially what I've done is I'm going to be interviewing people in the eastern part of Maine, basically from uh, Bucksport up to Callis, who do interesting things. Now, here's the thing. We were just talking about that. And you said, and my producer, and I went, she has a producer? <laughs> And then I went, oh, we sort of have a producer, too. She's sitting in the uh, on-air studio yeah, there engineer. uh, engineering the thing. But we don't really have a producer, as they, you know what I'm saying? And we hardly even talked before we showed up here this morning. So that's we have a kind of a different way of organizing <laughs> boat talk sometimes. <laughs> and we're hoping it all work out, too. So, Leslie, when, when's this show going to be on? Uh, we're working on a, a date to uh, launch it, but it will be um, within the next few weeks. I don't know any airtime yet. E- Right, but it's going to be on uh, Saturday mornings from 8 to 8.30. Okay, yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah and as I said, it would be interesting to see what your interviewing style is. And, and uh, you know, so anyway, uh, and glad to have you here this morning. Thank you. And uh, Boat Talk, as always, is open to anybody that basically comes along and wants to uh, chip in. It's a uh, phone-in program. The number is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Got a couple things in the news we'd like to mention, if we could. And uh, also, we got to talk... A little bit about the magnetic pole shift that our friend Captain Yosarian from uh, Tremont called and asked about last month, and then Graham from the Lowell's Boat Shop down in uh, uh, Amesbury, Mass, sent me some stuff, and it's pretty much the end of the world. So, oh, let's 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 do the, the nice stuff thing. before we get to the end of the world, though. The Sport Boat Boat School is a uh, big thing. We've been all over here for a long time, and uh, there is a fella uh, named Marlo who builds boats in Taiwan right now, and he wants to buy the place. And the town is uh, assuming a debt at the present time and losing money on it, and they're going Yahoo. So they have agreed to sell uh, Marlow Yachts, the boat school, with certain provisions for $850,000. And he is set to make uh, several million dollars of investment, um, ramp up the boat school in several different ways with equipment and personnel and uh, new curriculum. And uh, eventually he hopes to start building yachts in Eastport, which he'll ship around the world which he's now doing in uh, uh, the Far East. And this man is very serious. He's a uh, Brooksville summer resident as part of his connection to the, to the Maine. He wants to be in Eastport, Maine. The uh, legislature in the Bangor Daily News today has to uh, sign something, so uh, we'll allow Eastport to sell the thing, and it's uh, ought to pass is what the, what the uh, paper says this morning about the Eastport boat school motion. So um, I guess we're good for that, you know. Well, that's good news for them. Yeah. Um, it could be one of the most transformative things to happen in eSports since the uh, Aaron wares all went away and, you know, sardine factories, I would think. Yeah. Speaking of that, how about fish landings? Uh, lobster had a record year last year. They landed 93.3 million pounds of lobster on the coast of Maine. And that's not a tail. That's a... Uh, <laughs> uh, 12 uh, million odd pounds higher than the year before, which was the previous record. And one-third of that come ashore in Hancock County, Maine. Wow. One-third of it comes ashore right here in Hancock County. 
worth uh, totally about uh, $309 million. That's just the lobsters on the boat. That's not the gas and fixing the boat and buying the boat. And you know what I'm saying here? It's a uh, kind of big deal. So the lobster fishery is, by all accounts, got to be got to be fairly healthy. Um, you would think, anyway. Um, yeah, we don't want to talk about that one. Here's one right here. Uh, we're just discussing this. The uh, mill up in Millinocket, the paper mill, is up for sale again, and people get real excited about that. There's some labor stuff that's up in the air right now. But um, they point out here in the Bangor Daily News uh, from a few days ago that Oh, let's see if I can read this. The mills are a significant distance from their customers, and this adds to the transportation costs at a time when gasoline prices are edging higher, and Maine is burdened with a, quote, transportation infrastructure that is extremely disadvantageous to its customers. Maine's lack of seagoing shipping capacity, with most of paper products sailing from Boston Harbor, is among several examples. These Millinocket and Millinocket will... Um, uh, mills also get especially hurt by federal regulations that force logging in paper trucks off of I-95 north of uh, Augusta and onto the back roads. And we can't ship that out of the state of Maine. Seems like, well, Eastport is really close to being able to do that. But hopefully they, uh, they can. So I, th I think it uh, in this case I believe the reason they would go to Boston is uh, it's a it's a matter of container handling I would believe and uh, well, we do not have we have a little bit of container handling in Portland but nothing on the scale of Halifax St John or Boston just yeah for but example. it's equipment you can buy and that's what I'm thinking Eastport could easily get some of those horizontal cranes or whatever you call them that, that pick up those containers and set them up. And Get them going there. Esports just in the news. They're uh, expanding their port right now, trying to make more storage for uh, wood chips and also conveyor um, on the back side of the port of Eastport right now. They've hit a uh, permitting snag and had to dismiss their contractor and incurring the uh, big new costs. And mm -hmm. like I say, they're in the middle of uh, wood chips and pregnant cows right now. So, um, and again, they don't have a rail connection, which is something that they would be aching for. Oh, yes, they're, yeah. they're pushing for that. So right. anyway, the uh, we can't ship paper out of the state of Maine. Just seems a little, I don't know, <laughs> you know, seems counterintuitive. Um, that's the one about the boat school. Uh, that's the one about the tidal power. Let's get to this right here. Uh, last last month, if you remember, Captain Yo called up and he says, uh, how about the uh, magnetic pole shifting? What do you think about that? And uh, he's right, it is. Oh, and, it has been, but yes. Yeah, and it, it turns seems to out be shifting faster now. Yeah, it turns out to be a pretty big deal. Uh, Graham, uh, Graham from uh, Lowell's Boat Shop down in Amesbury sent this thing from SalemNews.com. Magnetic polar shifts causing massive global superstorms, and basically what that says is uh, your global warming's all fine and good, but it ain't a pimple on uh, this magnetic pole shifting uh, thing. And chasing that up, I read a, another one here from NaturalNews.com. The Earth, you got, this is just great, so I had to click on it. The Earth's magnetic pole shift unleashing poisonous space clouds. <laughs> also linked to mysterious bird deaths, dude. And uh, this ain't really science fiction if you think about it. Poisonous space clouds. It's poisonous space clouds, and here's how it goes. The, the climate is significantly driven by the interaction of the sun's magnetic field and our magnetic field. Yes, ours is a shield, is for sure. In a lot of ways it is. Now, it moves about five miles a year. Our pole shifts uh, generally about five miles a year. In the last few years, it's been shifting about 40 miles a mm -hmm. year. 
that's up 800% and it's accelerating. Yeah, well, to, to verify that too, I just went online this morning to the website that George Fowler gave us last month, uh, the, the uh, NOAA site that tr- actually tracks where the North Pole is at any particular day. And just since last month, it's moved one minute. And a minute is a mile in navigation. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I say, speeding up. <laughs> it's accelerating. The pole on this planet tends to flip, and it does so, uh, you know, in a, a change in range of time. Anything from 50,000 years to half a million years has been the norm. We're now three-quarters of a million years since the last one. We're overdue, they're saying. Now, um, there's a high correlation with climate change, uh, weather patterns, and the magnetic field. And what can happen are superstorms, radiation cancers, mm. and uh, DNA mutations. Well, I'm saying it's the end of the world, basically. Yeah. You forgot so, coral bleaching. Yeah. So anyway, here's the story on the uh, poisonous space clouds. About 50 miles up in the ionosphere are, are uh, clouds of space debris called uh, space debris called noctilucent clouds. And these are particles of, of whatever, okay? And uh, just trapped in the Earth's orbit there. Now, our changing uh, magnetosphere is, as you said, a shield for that. If the magnetosphere gets messed up, it leaves gaps. And it's possible that these noctilucent clouds can descend into our atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And... They are made up out of bad stuff, uh, heavy metals, and among other stuff, they think that um, that could have been the reason why all the birds died a little while ago all of a sudden, that this poisonous cloud comes down and it makes hydrogen cyanide, kills the birds, they fall to the ground, and they look like they've been uh, hit with a brick, you know. Now, that's pretty bad for birds and everything, and and I don't know if those birds have been tested for uh, cyanide poisoning or anything, but... um, there exists, as they say, the possibility the cloud could come down to Earth level. Mm. We can't breathe hydro- hydrogen cyanide at all. No, no, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, and if somebody says you can be a survivalist, you can have your cellar full of, uh, uh, you know, beans and uh, dried food, and you can have gold uh, packed up, and it ain't going to make any difference when that cloud comes down. So, yeah. Like I said, that's what we were talking about last month, and it sounds like the end of the world. Also, uh kind of poo-poo's global warming a little bit, although these things are obviously, uh, you know, would all pile together and not be, doesn't sound yeah. very ho- hopeful well, either now, does it? I, I think the theory is, too, that when the polar shift does happen, it's going to be neutral for a while. It doesn't automatically go from, you know, one day the North Pole is the North and the next, next day it's the South Pole. It's going to be a, a time of uh, neutrality or whatever, you know, non-polarity where the solar radiation is just going to come right straight in. We're all going to get baked, too. So Here's some good <laughs> news. You, your GPS doesn't care where the North Pole is today. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't operate off that. It operates off satellites, and they, you know, mm-hmm. they don't care where the North Pole is today in the GPS. So um, that's kind of reassuring that your compass really doesn't have to matter because I'm doubting the thing hard right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wouldn't you? You get got rid to. Of your compass. Go but the GPS will tell you which way to go as long as it's working. Sounds like a plot by the GPS industry, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> the last delivery I did last uh, fall was late November, and, and we had problems. The uh, the boat had problems, and we had the same ones. The electronics went down. Uh, the engine stopped running, and uh, the autopilot wouldn't work, among other stuff. But for a backup, we bring 
another GPS. We bring a handheld GPS, and so we were fine. But again, what if the whole GPS isn't working? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we have a phone call. Let's, let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Deb Saran calling from Deer Isle. How hey, are Deb. you guys this Deb morning? Deb Saran, old uh, classic WERU hand. How have you been? I've been fine. Thank you. Ready for spring, I must say. Dow. Um, guys, I wanted to warn you, don't believe everything you read on the Internet. Well, of course not, Deb. Okay. Which part? Uh, yeah, the noctilucent clouds. Noctilucent clouds are just water vapor, but they're very high up. They're often associated with launches of uh, rockets, which uh, leave a, a trail of water vapor very high up in the air. And uh, people who want to read more about noctilucent clouds, also called polar mesotheric clouds, can go to atmospheric optics the website, Atmospheric Optics. It is an actual scientific website. Um, you guys are spreading, I'm sorry to say, a lot of non-science and misinformation. Um, you should really do a little bit more research at actual scientific websites before you start talking about end-of-the-world scenarios. Took it. Uh, man, we love that the audience is so intelligent, you know. And uh, I can't thank you enough, Deb, for, like, say, uh, throwing more light on that. A little bit tongue-in-cheek about the, the uh, noctilucent clouds and the birds there, but didn't, uh, uh, you know, in my own defense, didn't mention the space weapons that allegedly the, our defense department is testing. The heart program, as they say here, goes on and on about that, too. So we do have a little bit of, like I say, uh, sci I'm a scientist mm -hmm. by training, so I'm open to, I'm open to hypothesis. Well, and, uh, let me just read you a little bit about noctilucent clouds from atmospheric optics, also called polar mesotheric clouds, or PMCs. They are 80 to 85 kilometers high, 50 to 53 miles, and a few kilometers below the mesopause, the coldest part of the atmosphere. NLCs are comprised of extremely small ice crystals, uh, some 0.1 micron in diameter. We see them by sunlight scattered by the crystals, which are not large enough to show iridescent effects. Their bluish coloration is likely a result of absorption of red light by the atmospheric ozone layer. And if you go online, you can see um, videos of them. They, they wave. They, it's almost like looking at waves, uh, you know, through the, looking through water and seeing light on the bottom in shallow water. It's quite beautiful. How about the part about the uh, magnetic shield over our planet in fluctuation? Well, the that's the that's just what we're talking about here. Yeah, um, the whole part about you know storms that will lead to the end of the Earth doesn't. I, I would I would definitely read up a little more about that. I mean, it, it's true the uh, the North and South Poles do flip every you know several hundred thousand years or however long it is, but. Just the fact that you could say on the air that, that noctilucent clouds are poisonous. I mean, really, guys. Are you still there, Dan? Yeah. Oh, good. Well, uh, you know, thank you for that uh, <laughs> criticism. Well, t well taken. Um, again, uh, like I say, uh, you know, I like uh, some oceanographers I read about a while back. They all laugh and uh, talk about this global warming stuff. And as a scientist, I'm open to the hypothesis that all this smoke that we put in the air can have some in, uh, influence on our atmosphere and, and it's a delicately balanced uh, system with lots of different factors that uh, you know pull and push in all directions so I'm um, you know I'm, I've always been open to that um, the uh, 
thing is, the oceanographers joke that, uh, you know, the sea, re- sea level rise won't be a big deal. We'll be all be killed by the bad weather that's going to, uh, you know, will get us way before that. And again, uh, you know, you look at the weather nowadays and it seems to be getting more intense and, and you look around and, and uh, you know, so that's what what uh, really got me about this, this issue here is, like I say, the uh, magnetosphere apparently has a large influence on our weather patterns and the shifting of it is probably not good. Can we can we more or less agree on that? Um, to tell you the truth, I would want to do more research before I would would agree with that. Um, I would like to uh, posit a um, a conclusion of a of a scientific paper I read a while ago, which was that the true skeptic. Sorry, my cat is getting into something in the background. The true skeptic must always side with the preponderance of scientific evidence. Oh, I agree, I agree with that. Like I say, I'm I'm a biologist by training. Mm-hmm. Besides being a you know, a boat builder by default, I guess. Mm-hmm. So anyway, no, appreciate it, Deb, and I'd love to talk more about it. Uh, you know, do some more research and and uh, become our usual suspect here and get back to us. Okay. Very open. Thank you, Deb. All right. Bye bye. Yes, we do have another phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, this is Gray. Hi, Gray. Uh, at the uh, from Hancock. At the risk of. Uh, putting out another uh, unscientific rumor out there. I, I'm going to put it in the form of a question, which is really my point: is that this this idea of magnetic pole shift has been causing problems. Is I mean, I remember hearing about that in the 70s, and uh, at that time, people were saying that uh, our electronics is all kind of dependent upon the polarity of the Earth's magnetic field, and that if it were to shift suddenly, like planes might fall out of the sky and our cars wouldn't work and pacemakers would stop working and what i'd like to do is put that question out to the to you and the audience and see if anybody can uh, tell me whether the uh, the earth's magnetic field is uh, crucial to the uh, running of some of the higher electronics we have anyway that's that's all i got to say thanks greg I don't know if it's safe no. to use your video game on the airplane either, so, you know, <laughs> it's hard, hard telling, but maybe safe not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one one book that I read last year that relates to this that I think is pretty interesting and recommend to people is a book called Chasing Molecules, where they talk about how um, a lot of this organic um, pollution that we're making ends up getting way up into the North Pole and the atmosphere and all that sort of stuff, and it's uh, could be part of the source of the... Uh, poisonous cloud that we're being so got a uh, about. wonderful book here called the magnetic north notes from the arctic circle sarah wheeler very highly recommended it's kind of a travelogue of the uh, arctic and uh, she points out that a lot of bad stuff bioaccumulates mm-hmm. accumulates and then bioaccumulates up there right and we've been uh, very bad about polluting it uh, as well and and those stains don't heal very quickly up there as well so anyway, phones ring again. We still got to talk to Leslie about women and boating this morning, but we're doing boat talk, and it just kind of happens it's sometimes. It's the way it goes. Yeah. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Captain Yo in Tremont. Ah, Yo. It certainly is uh, gratifying to think that we have dodged a toxic cloud. I'm looking at uh, marine news. There's a very interesting thing in here about a thing called a sky sail which is a 320-square-meter kite on a vessel, which they call handy size, 25,000 to 30,000 tons, making it the largest vessel propelled by a kite in the world. 
Sky sails are connected to the ship by a rope, computer-controlled. The kite functions at a height between 100 to 420 meters and flies in a figure-eight formation. The system is automated and requires only minimal action by the crew. An automatic control system steers the kite and adjusts its flight path. I am wondering if that means downwind or what. Anyway, it's a very interesting idea that came up. I, I also wanted to thank you all for looking into the pole shift thing. Uh, of course, a lot of our technology does depend on magnetism, and a magnetic flux, whether from the Earth or from the sun, could affect magnets in all our equipment from satellites all the way down to the little things that we use every day. So uh, it certainly is dire, but there's one thing that's really comforting about it, and that's that we can't do anything about it. So we might as well sit there and watch the show. I think we'll probably see some pretty amazing northern lights when all this stuff hits. I did want to add one thing. I plan to put uh, Annie McGee in the water this year. And if any young people are listening and are interested in boat building and seamanship, she certainly would uh, appreciate some additional hands, and I would too. And uh, for anyone in the Hancock area, Mount Desert Island, locale who's interested in getting his hands dirty with some boat building. Thanks so much for running the show today, guys. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, we did talk about uh, sky sails a while back, um, in particular connection with. Remember the fellow that was yep, going to go I around do. the world in the ten foot boat. He well, yeah, he was going to use a sky. Several people use going around the world. Sails, but it's a very it. athletic endeavor with, uh, especially on that size. Yeah. Uh, you know that is. Uh, Fraught with all kinds of perils. So he yeah. ended up testing it down in Florida, but I don't know the results of the test. I tried to get oh, haven't, haven't been uh, back in touch with him, but anyway, uh, that that remains, uh, like I say, some interesting technology. I'd want it attached to a boat where the uh, kite couldn't really mess up the boat too hard. Right, I think not it too would have to be yeah. pretty much downwind, no yeah. matter what, though. But we do have another phone call still, so okay. let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, it's the Analog Anarchist. Oh, from up to Nova Foxcroft, one of them big port towns. (laughs) Uh, You never hear any any information like this on Click and Clack. Oh, uh, I think they're a lot more technical than we are, to tell you the truth. Uh, Actually not. uh, If anybody uh, has ever called in, uh, they screen all their calls, and they get about a week to work on your problem and decide if it's going to be humorous enough. Oh. It's It's not live. Those people aren't calling up live. Oh, I understand that, but still, like I say, I, I uh, you know, I listen with an ear there and try to try <laughs> to pick up on what they do. And uh, well, you wonder about the shameless commerce department? How could it be integrated? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Talking about the the polar uh, shift, the magnetic uh, fields. Um, one of the things that would happen if it went to neutral for a while is that uh, you know the magnetosphere takes all those solar particles. Well, all your satellites are up there in those solar particles, and they're very susceptible to it. If they're not shielded, uh, I, you know, it's, it's a very good chance that, among other things, uh, GPS is not going to work because the satellites will all be knocked out. They just lost control of a, uh, a large communication satellite, and it drifted around out of control for a while, and then they, uh, its batteries ran down, and then it did a, a reset, like you do with your computer, and a reset, and it started working again. But it was used for um, uh, your aircraft uh, approach and stuff like that. Mm. And it was, they assumed that it was, you know, a little solar flare sent a little, couple of little particles in there and upset some of this uh, electronics. Uh, if any of you still use uh, generators, you know when you rebuild a generator or put a new one in, you have to polarize it first. That's north and south. 
uh, you leave a, um, a generator uh, not run for a while, and the Earth's magnetic field will set the poles to whichever way it's sitting. And if it's uh, reversed, you're going to start that thing up, and it's going to put negative to positive and positive to negative. Mm. And your little, um, your, your little um, uh, um, microprocessors and stuff, stuff that has a little memory when it's off, probably like your GPS or anything. Uh, uh, I have a couple here that for every summer thunderstorm, <laughs> the numbers are all haywire. And if it's, you know, it's, um, I use it on my satellite dish. Uh, I can't use an automatic positioner because every thunderstorm, it kind of resets the current position, and you, you push the button to go east, and it's going west. Obviously, we're talking about powerful forces, and, <laughs> and you would have to think, again, there would be significant, uh, you know, things going on. We just have to figure what they might be. I uh, read a long time ago, said that um, a fellow was pointing out about these space weapons. will blast their si satellite right out of the sky with our space beam, right? Well, if you uh, blow up a satellite in orbit, you're mm -hmm. going to contain, um, you're going to condemn that orbit to all kinds of little pieces of shrapnel. They're now going to float around and run into all the other satellites, and you're going to poison the space and well, make it effectively unsatellitable. It's exactly right. The, the, well, the, the stationary ones, what we call geostationary, they're all at the same exact orbit. One of those blows up, it's gonna, the pieces are going to eventually take out all the other ones. Hmm. We may be smarter than ourselves. It's hard telling, isn't it? If you remember how to, how to navigate by the stars, you'll probably be all right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, again, uh, we bring an extra GPS on the trip. No, never a sextant anymore. I've used a sextant for 10, 15 years. It would be a hard job now, yeah. yeah. yeah make, make sure the oil doesn't run out, run out of the bubble. Good advice. We appreciate it this Good morning. Good talking to you. All right. All right. Thank you. We're about halfway through Boat Talk, and again, we'll talk about anybody that wanders up, but we got Leslie Holler right in the studio this morning, and Leslie, uh, it's International Women's Day, I understand, and, and women in boats is an interesting subject in a lot of ways. Um, the Boat Talk question is, what happened to you when you were a young child that messed you up about boats, <laughs> you know? Well, I, uh, I summered on uh, a lake down in the Belgrade Lakes, and uh, we always had canoes, and all my friends had motorboats, and it was back in the day where it was the, uh, I don't know what the brand of the boat was, but everybody had like a Johnson motor on the back, and they were those kind of boats with the, the uh, seat that went down uh, a little walkway down through the middle mm -hmm. where there was, yeah, you know, the padded seats. And, and the acrylic windshield. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And uh, so anyway, when I was a kid, I... Uh, would hang out with my friends and we'd always go zooming around the lake on these on these power boats and I really enjoyed it and uh, eventually I moved up to Bar Harbor when I was in my late teens and uh, I had a couple of friends that had like 13 14 foot whalers you know we go out on Frenchman's Bay and get lost and run up on rocks and do all sorts of stupid things inevitably <laughs> always a good time though oh always a, good a time. happy place Except when we had to, like, you know, get pulled off the rocks and somebody's father was always mad at us because we, like, <laughs> messed the boat up. But in general, a happy place. You yeah, know? but it was good. And, and as a result, I've lived here my entire adult life and I've, I've just ended up always being on the water in one form or another. I've, I've uh, had a sailboat and a few different motorboats and it's fun. It's good. I really like it. But I'm a real champion for, especially today on... International Women's Day, that it would be great to see more women out on the water, especially in powerboats. Uh, it's not anything to be afraid of, and it's pretty liberating, and it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, duties on the water uh, that we assign names to, like captain and first mate, they're not gender specific. Those are those are duties, not genders. That's you know? correct. Anybody can can do anything out there, but there's a lot of different ways that that women come to the water, and you know, let's start with the first one. Uh, wouldn't be there if it wasn't for him, you know. Which is fairly typical. You're you're hanging out with your man. You're you know your significant other. Let's put it that way, and uh, you know. Your your significant other has a boat, so you're on the boat. One of my favorite stories is uh, Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart. Their first date was on his yacht. Um, you know, she was fine until they served lunch, and she, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> very embarrassing. So anyway, uh, you may be a, uh, anything from a guest to, uh, as I say, first mate or alternate captain under that that situation, and you know. Um, being uh, around professionally delivering boats, we see so much stuff, you know, and uh, our harmonious couple on a boat is a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, situation and a, and a great happy place. But um, let's take any insecurities, uh, unhappinesses, and put them on the water, give you a chance of drowning at the same time and, uh, you know, breaking very expensive, uh, like, say, equipment and things like that and... Again, it, it can uh, make make a lot of things, uh, you know, worse. Get magnified on the water. Well, Mike, I'll, I've 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 had my moments with uh, a particular husband where it wasn't particularly pleasant. But as a result, <laughs> I now have my own boat, <laughs> and I do my own thing. And uh, it's and actually, I just I, I mean, all seriousness though, it would be nice to see more women just feeling comfortable enough with the idea of, you know, you can handle a 22, 24-foot center console boat all by yourself without any problem. I do it a lot. And, uh, you know, the key is to all this is to have a boat yard you can really count on. And uh, to also, like in my case, I mean, I have a lot of other friends that are out on the water, and we always kind of all know who's out there and what everybody's up to just in case you get into trouble. And I keep my boat in Sorrento, so so. Uh, but I'll go far afield. I mean, I've I've gone out to Frenchboro with it, and up over to S- Sound, and over by Egamogan Reach. I mean, I've just for little day trips, and I have a one thirty, a, a Yamaha one thirty on the back. And but I just think that it's uh, it's not something to be afraid of, and it's something that you just need to learn how to do and I know that there are a lot of people out there and not just women but I mean people that are kind of have fear of all this but uh, you know with some proper training and if you're surrounded with people that are also confident um, you can learn a lot and then you get out there and it's just a great experience confidence comes from competence and uh, again uh, you know you got to have uh, support staff help keep uh, uh, care of the boat. Uh, Boatyard's the key. Yeah. I use uh, West, this little plug for these guys, West Cove Boatyard the over in Sorrento. There, yeah. Those guys are great. And and actually, last summer, we had, uh, as we were discussing earlier, the whole ethanol problem. Um, I happen to have an older motor, and it's a uh, two-stroke. And uh, so that requires, you know, adding oil and stuff. It's actually very efficient. It's a Yamaha. And uh, it's a great motor. And uh, last summer, because of the whole switch with the gas and with ethanol, a lot of people like myself, especially with the older motors, I mean, we would just spend the whole weekend with all these, all these problems. And it wasn't until the end of the summer that we all 
kind of figured out what was going on. Uh, West Cove Boat was great, helping us all sort of through this thing. And uh, But, you know, replacing fuel lines and uh, having to add the stabilizer. Yeah, we've covered that in, in uh, some detail, yeah. And again, with an older, uh, well, you got to get a new four-stroke. You know that. Oh, I'd so like the, to. That's uh, my. It's on my. Two-stroke uh, motors. It's on my wish list. But really, I have to say, I mean, for what I've got, and and it's it's extremely efficient. It's very miserly on fuel use, and uh, I actually uh, had got it through Jeff's Marine down in Thomaston. And if those guys are listening, they they're they're just a great outfit down there, and they exclusively sell and service Yamahas. And uh, so I had a lot of confidence when I had gotten the motor that I have that came from them. A two-stroke, we, we try to explain things every once in a while, is like a lawnmower and you add gas to it, like a chainsaw. Chainsaw. Chainsaw, chainsaw you add gas, uh, oil in with gas, and it burns it and blows it out through the exhaust. And a four-stroke, uh, it's not like that. It's, uh, they're separate, and again, the exhaust is different. So, but um, a big consideration with four strokes is they're considerably heavier yes, they than are. a two stroke, and yeah. so when one's making that type of purchase, you have to really think about your boat. And more complicated when they break too. Yeah, yeah. Just well, although if you get a new one, it shouldn't be breaking, yeah. right? <laughs> but the, the issue deal? is the issue is basically experience, and and on the water it counts more than in a lot of other places. Um, you know, we call it seamanship, and and it's something that you got to build over time profit from the uh, example of others because we like to say you don't have time make all those mistakes yourself you know so no but you know it's it's one thing i i think about especially when things like docking for instance i mean i'm i'm not the world's greatest docker but i can dock and especially when i'm with my son who's a real pro at this stuff you know he's always squawking at me telling me i'm doing it the wrong way but but the thing is that it is forgiving, and there, even though there's a system and a way you have to do this stuff, we all know what that's about, knowing how to tie knots and dock the boat and stuff like that. But, I mean, there, if, if you can't get in the first try, you just back up and go do it again. And I see in Bar Harbor a lot people that don't spend too much time on the water, and, you know, they're here for a week or two, and they've got their nice big boat, and, you know, they're approaching the dock, and they're they're scared. And as a result... They end up with problems, and, uh, and I mean, we've certainly all had our problems. I'm not saying we haven't. And do it with a lot of yelling and unhappiness. Yeah, and, and then that's the class. And that's the thing, and I think that's really important about boating. And I think, like you mentioned earlier about couples, it's it's a really important dynamic that occurs with two people on the water and and like i've been in a situation on a on a you know almost 40 foot sailboat and you know the two of us are out there and you're cruising along and everything's fine and all of a sudden it's not fine and the thing is you can't overreact because it just it's upsetting and you know these are sometimes not that they're life and death situations but they can be very challenging at the moment that you're dealing with a jib line that gets caught in the propeller or you know you hit a lobster trap and you're now you're caught up and you're not going anywhere i mean it's endless what can go on lost in the fog is always a good one yeah well lost in the fog but these days with the gps it's kind of hard to get lost in the fog but but uh you know although i've 
had my share of those circumstances you're too, but a lot of were years you, ago. You're going to be scared of your compass after this morning when your GPS stops working, though, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> well, actually, I just my kids just gave me a brand new GPS for Christmas, so we're going to be uh, putting it on my boat this spring. I'm pretty excited because that's one of the things I found the last couple of years. I had a sort of a beat-up GPS that I didn't feel a lot of confidence about, and so I didn't I didn't feel good on like a nightly run out to Islesford to go to the restaurant or whip over to Solmesville or something. So, so this will this will sort of put me back in the confidence groove. Yeah, as you say, a matter of matter of building experience. And um, I always your example of uh, we're out there and now it's no fun anymore. I like to say that good things happen slowly on boats and bad things happen happen quickly and you can lose your attitude quickly, but you can't beam off there right away. No, you know, that's take, true. Get me out of here now um, is not always, like, say, a useful uh, uh, way to try to approach a situation. And uh, Although my credo always is the wonderful world of boating where something will go wrong if it can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got some good ones, too. How about... Uh, uh, it's only that long and that wide. How much trouble could it be? That's one of my favorite <laughs> boat jokes. <laughs> um, delivering boats up and down the East Coast, we like to listen to the radio sometimes. We were talking about that last month with uh, Graham from down the Lowell's Boat Shop there. And, and you tune in on the VHF and listen in on other people's conversations. You can hear somebody hail on one channel and follow them to talk on the other. But we like the Coast Guard channel, Channel 26. And uh, you get to hear everybody's emergencies. And I was just uh, remembering one this morning that was just absolutely classic. Um, we were down off uh, somewhere in Buzzards Bay, I believe, and there was an absolute hysterical woman on the radio. And uh, she was saying that um, we've lost control of the boat. We have, I have no idea where we are. And the Coast Guard was saying, ma'am, uh, you know, she says, my babies, my babies, some, come save us, my babies. And it's, ma'am, uh, uh, we need your position, please. I don't know where we are. What is the color of your boat? What color is the boat, my babies? <laughs> okay, and, and uh, we established that it was a white boat, and she could see a yellow house. That's all the information we had, okay? So a fella comes on the radio and says, this is, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, a ducky here, and I'm, uh, I see a, a white boat and a yellow house in sight here. They're off of, uh, you know, Anasquam or whatever, and don't seem to be having any particular problems, and he ended up going over, gave him a line, towed him in. And that lady is Santa had totally lost any confidence she had in, uh, you know, that situation and her husband and the boat and being on the water and everything. That's as bad as it gets right there, you know. Um, the thing is that if you're going to be on the boat, you're going to have to learn. Um, I don't think it's a good thing to always be a passenger. Well, that's, that's what Leslie's saying, saying about yeah, confidence. exactly you know? right. Confidence comes from, as you say, yeah. competence. And we do have another phone call. So let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Here it's Jay. I've got a calling from Sedgwick. I've got a question for Leslie about uh, uh, getting young girls interested in sailing. I have a, an eleven-year-old daughter who's uh, wondering about the possibility if if there are any lesson programs that you know of coming up this summer, uh, specifically for girls. Uh, my daughter was interested in this last year and uh, checked it out for a while and was kind of repelled by some of the, uh, you know, very knowledgeable boys but that, that have grown up with this uh, with this in the area, especially in the Brooklyn area and Blue Hill area. But uh, she just said to me, I wish there was a class that was just girls so what? I can get away from the boys for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. before you answer the question, i got to tell you guys that uh, 
my daughter did come up with a uh, with a with a name for uh, a ship's doctor. You might add this to the oh. list. That's Doctor Lance Boyle. <laughs> okay. I'll hang up and let Leslie answer, and you guys can keep quiet. Thank you, Jay. Uh, Jay's host of the Rhythm Ranch will be on about what two o'clock this afternoon, I think. He's going to be you... doing a Mardi Gras show too. Yeah, it sounds predictable. But anyway, Jay, uh, if you recognize the voice, will be back on the airwaves here at two on WERU. We're doing boat talks morning too, talking about women and boats. So how about girls uh, just getting together with the girls? Well, yep, there are actually, Jay, there are quite a few programs around. Um, I, the, my familiarity with most of them is through one of my sons who's an active sailor and uh, up until a few years ago was quite involved with a lot of sailing programs around. But I will say one thing first is that what I've observed as a parent who just spent 10 years, 12 years with kids on the water, sailing and teaching, it's become a real balanced sport. And there are just as many women out there teaching sailing as there are guys. And uh, women in sailing uh, for this younger generation, it sort of goes hand in hand with uh, just being another athletic opportunity. But I think if you look around, like over at the Blue Hill Yacht Club, down in, uh, uh, what is it, Bucks Harbor, uh, over at Brook, let me see, Brooklyn, that's where Wooden Boat is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brooklyn, yeah. I know that in those particular communities, they have, they have, which is down your way, there are some really great summer sailing programs. And especially with your daughter entering her early teens, uh, she'll find, there'll be something down here, down there for her. You might want to shop around a little bit to see what you guys are comfortable with as a family. But uh, I feel pretty comfortable telling you that you'll, you'll come across something that'll be good. But just as uh, something else for women sailing in general, uh, adults, the uh, sailing program down in Southwest Harbor uh, that Glenn Squires runs, uh, they have a great women's, sailing uh class in on monday afternoons into the early evening in the summer and that's specifically run for women by by women and for women and it's a really good program you go out in mercury's and this is the mdi sailing right oh yeah i'm sorry mdi community sailing, community sailing yeah yes. which is in southwest harbor and uh, I've, I've actually participated in that program until I got too busy this summer and couldn't finish off what I wanted to do. But that's a really, that's a great scene right over there. Uh, not so much for teenagers. Outward Bound runs uh, women's programs. We come in uh, to Rockland last year and passed three of those old spritzel uh, dories for full women, you know, and they were having a time. Come boating in and, and, uh Come boating in, in Belfast, uh, Wooden Boat Magazine, I believe, and their uh, uh, school has had a woman in boat and stuff. And uh, we were down to the uh, New York Yacht Club Castle in, in Newport picking up a boat this fall, and we went into the middle of the Women's Collegiate Sailing uh, Championships. And, wow, that place was hopping. That was quite a sight. <laughs> you want to talk about a big Lycra crowd, wow. <laughs> well, you know what's a cool thing to do, too, is is uh, in the uh, spring over at the Maine Maritime Academy in Smith Cove, there's a big regatta weekend where uh, a lot of the prep schools in New England and then some of the public schools that have, have uh, you know, good sailing programs, they, uh, they go out there and sail in 420s. And uh, one of my kids did that for three three years, I think it was, and, and uh, it's really fun. They have a launch, takes you out to the, uh, to a big uh, wharf that's, uh, or dock, that's yeah, just, dock. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's really a lot of fun. And and you know, you can just go do it. You don't have to have a connection to it if you're interested in just watching something like that. How did I get here? My family never had a boat and uh, but the neighbor's family did. And there were a lot of kids in the neighborhood, so they couldn't take every kid on every trip. But when it was your turn to go on the sailboat, wow, that was the greatest thing until they sold the sailboat and got a stupid powerboat. <laughs> Boat killed me, but at the same time, they got an old wooden uh, lightning. And us kids, uh, you know, young teenagers, fixed it up in the barn. We never made it stop leaking, but we sailed that around Casco Bay for a few years, you know, and that's what happened to me. I think we have another phone call. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. I believe it's polite to give a number every once in a while. On a, listening yeah. to this is Boat Talk on WERU. Welcome to Boat Talk. Or four six nine zero five hundred if you're a local yokel. <laughs> Speaking of local yokels, <laughs> sounds like our friend Michael from Stonington. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, it is, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I guess I have to say today. Um, I, you know, I, I. Promise you and assure you that I'm not calling you up to make you look stupid, but I feel there's a little issue here that needs to be clarified about this whole thing with the magnetic pole and degrees and distance. So, um, what Mike said about a mile being a minute is correct for one thing, and one thing only, to my knowledge, and that is for latitude. So, a, mi- a minute of latitude equals a mile of distance, and that is consistent throughout the planet. It's not true for longitude because longitude, of course, uh, lines of longitude taper from the north to the south pole, and by nature of the fact that we're living on this sort of weird ball-shaped device, um, they get a lot closer as they get to the top. So <clears throat> that being established, let's now go to the magnetic pole, which, which, if it were totally aligned with the geographical, physical north and south poles, um, then magnetic north would be true north, and we wouldn't have two compass roses on the chart, and there would be no variation, uh, as it's called. So, so right now, in, in this part of the world, we have, I don't know exactly, it's about 17, it's about 17 degrees, uh, 50 minutes of, of variation, which is the distance, if you read the compass, uh, rose that the that, that that the magnetic compass will vary to the west of the true compass, the gyro compass. On the chart, this, there's two magnetic, there's two compass roses, and they're offset right. by what the you're saying is, is the yeah. The outer one is set, of course, that never changes because that's true, and the inner one is the magnetic, and that changes as the magnetic north pole shifts, which it does every year. And as you guys have quite rightfully pointed out, they. Um, it's, it's accelerated. The movement is accelerated. On the average, about 10 years ago, the shift was approximately three minutes <clears throat> or one-twentieth of a degree per year. So that means you'd have 20 years uh, before your, your, your change, your error from the magnetic to the true would, would shift one degree. And so this distance that you refer to, doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't apply in this case. What, I see what, what you're means, saying, yeah. What it means is that, um, you know, unless you have a brand new update, they're going to have to update charts much more regularly because you're going to steer your boat with your, with your magnetic compass in the fog, and instead of ending up right on the buoy where you always have last year, um, you're going to be a half a mile to port of it, or, you know, depending on which way you're heading, of course. Um, and the shift is just, is just going to be accelerated. As I, 
as I say, if, if you look at a chart, of, I, I just dragged out an old chart I have sitting in my shop, which is a 2001, so it's 10 years old. And the average change then was just three minutes per year. It tells you right in the inside of the compass rose. So, so as I say, it would take 20 years to actually change from 17 degrees west to 18 degrees west. And what we have to look forward to now is that people, um, for, for uh, the Luddites out there, and I include myself here, who still like to steer the boat by the compass rather than by a GPS, uh, um, we're going to have to be careful about buying new charts and making sure you stay up to date on cor or corrections because uh, um, it's going to be an added dimension, you know, apart from tides and, and, uh, and currents and all that sort of stuff and wind, you're going to have this problem of the, the, the annual uh, variation changing. You're scaring, you're scaring me, Mike. I don't want to buy new charts. I use a chart book that's like 20 years old now, and I figure the rocks and the shore really haven't moved, you know? <laughs> that, well, you know, I've always gone by that, too. But, you know, the very first year I moved here in 1994, I, I took my first, although I'd sailed in Maine quite a bit, I'd never been down uh, the Deer Isle thoroughfare, and, and I, left, uh, I left Billings feeling uh, pretty good about myself all alone, and, and I headed down the thoroughfare, and I thought, well, I went past the village. Time to start paying attention now because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of lumps of rock underwater here and not not a lot of buoys and i'll just double check the first buoy and it's a look at the chart and it says it's can nine and i come up to it and it's can 13. they do change i admit <laughs> and that i said oh they did change all the numbers so yep. yeah I, I went down i went down to thoroughfare renumbering them as i as i went but no you're, you're right the rocks don't really move very often but um this thing about the magnetic pole is a little it is a little weird and and uh um, I don't think, you know, ultimately, of course, if it moves 10 degrees, 10 minutes in one year, you're still only talking about one-sixth of one degree. Even the best helmsman that I've run into, you, you can't steer. No, nobody can Even steer. Even a great helmsman can't steer, steer to a degree. If you get a helmsman that can keep within two or three degrees of a course. Five or ten, I don't know who you go with. <laughs> I'm hardcore. <laughs> anyway, it's a great show, and I'll let you get back to your guest and, and uh, uh, talk to you next month. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Calling from his uh, boat shop down to Stonington. And we have Michael another call. Yeah. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, gentlemen. This is Daniel over in Rockland. I've been thinking about that minute and mile thing. Uh, it seems like it would depend how far off it is. And uh, uh, those of us who do update charts by sailing by the buoys and seeing the number, you, you would only have to keep track of the... Uh, the change in variation, Mike, you wouldn't have to get all new charts. Yeah, I do have some uh, uh, renumbered buoys in my chart book there, but like I say, they keep changing them. And I'm so reassured we can just stay tuned to Boat Talk. You guys can, can update <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> we're, not, uh, we're not bragging about best practices sometimes here, but anyway, I still get around. And um, It is discouraging when you go by a buoy and you look at it, you know it's that one, and you, it's got a different number on the chart, but... We've learned to accept that a little bit. We still get there, so yeah. Yeah, the little 1972 or 88 in the charts tend to tend to make me a little di less disheartened by that. So the whole idea of the environmental shifts and the, the importance of the magnetic field and shift and that all going though. I mean, uh, that's happened before. You can see the traces of it in the rock. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyhow, a fluid situation, Daniel. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Aren't the the changes in the water the wonder of the world, huh? Well, and again, uh, you know, uh, we talk about weather systems in the Gulf Stream is the thing that, um, you know, I'm so big about. Uh, I, I want it to keep working just the way it is, yeah. you know. 
Um, last okay. time it got turned off, there was a mini ice age. Just for mm -hmm. instance, somebody dumped too much fresh water into it. Well, all of a sudden, the whole cycle of uh, highs and lows being over land and sea based on the sunspot cycle. The yeah. The preponderance of highs will be over water at, at one point in it and, and lows in the other. This intensification of the weather is, uh, as I say, delivery sailor kind of concerns me. <laughs> you know, we try not to get in two really good big storms, and I'd like not to ever be in another one out to sea, you know? Yeah, yeah, I've been in a couple, and, and yeah, that's definitely, there's times ashore. I always miss a nice night to be ashore. That's, yes, isn't that a great thing to think? <laughs> Although I, I had to tell my daughter I was bailing out the house yesterday. The, the 18 inches of slush pack coming down the hill <laughs> over top the foundation, and I was down there with a baler. <laughs> well, you still had more security than you would have, you know. It's true. Couldn't sink. Quite a ways out there. Couldn't float off. Yeah. Anyhow, I'll get off the phone. I bet somebody has something. Yeah, you're right. I'll, I'll we do have one more phone shot. call. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Morning, Daniel. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. You got the last word. Hi, this is Josha calling from the Marine Environmental Research. Oh, Josha, yes. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I just want to let you guys know about some of the programs that we've got going here in March. Yes, um, especially one starting up this evening with the youth. We're always trying to promote uh, getting youth on the water. Yeah, that's right. We've got a new uh, ocean action group, kind of for teens, is our intended uh, intended audience audience for this one. But um, any teens that are interested in ocean issues or ocean problems like oil spills or toxic pollution or um, ocean acidification, that kind of thing. Um, they'll have a chance to meet um, tonight at 7 p.m., um, and they'll meet monthly here at the Mary Center, um, and they'll have the chance to investigate some of these issues, and they'll uh, be able to produce PSAs for radio, TV, and the Internet with the help of Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots program. Um, so they'll be able to make a difference, you know, and they'll be able to change some change some people's minds and hopefully influence actions and, and uh, get us some healthier oceans. Great. The uh, Marine Environmental Research Institute's in downtown Blue Hill. They have regular lectures and also some films, right? We do, yeah. We have this whole month of March, we have ocean video nights every Friday at 7 p.m. Um, so, yeah, every Friday in March. And this week we also have a lecture, uh, the Great Penguin Rescue, which is biggest animal rescue of all time. Um, Diane DiNapoli will be speaking here at 7 p.m. on Thursday. We've been wanting to talk for a long time to Dr. Sue Shaw, who's the founder there, about the uh, golf mess and stuff. She's all over that. And, and we'll be more in touch with Mary. And thank you for calling this morning. Thank you, Joshua. They're piping us out, Alan. Yep, I'm afraid we're uh, going have to cut off Leslie here, too. Told you it was a fast hour, Leslie. <laughs> yeah, but we we'll look forward to seeing you on the water. Leslie, and uh, thanks for tuning in to Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill. Stay tuned for Jim Hoosh coming up next with On the Wing.